Thanks for clicking over from YouTube from those who don't, or did, rather, and for the regular listeners on the audio-only side. Good morning. I have here today a audio-only bonus because it's a little, it's too hot of a topic. It's on abortion, which you're not permitted to talk about on YouTube without getting into trouble. Go figure. Two statements have been released, a short one by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the situation involving Joe Biden, the super devout, truly Catholic, more Catholic than you and I, Joe Biden, or as I call him on YouTube, Drowsy Caesar, because his name will also get you in trouble, because they don't like you criticizing their guys over there. And uh, the first is from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, critiquing that whole thing. It's a very short statement. The second is from Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke. Cardinal Burke's statement is much longer, and it goes over the history of all of this, and it's very interesting. Your takeaway from this will almost certainly be that this is a clear break from the faith that we saw with the endorsement of him receiving communion, a statement from Francis that I have no doubt was true, no doubt whatsoever, that he actually did that. It's one time I believe something Joe Biden said, because it's in perfect keeping with everything else we've seen from this pontificate. Regardless of that, let's begin here with the short statement from Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the occasion of Joe Biden's visit to the Vatican. And I have all these sources posted at the... uh, Sources blog at returntotradition.org for those of you who want to see them. On the occasion of the visit of last October 29th at the Vatican, the news agencies spread the news according to which Joe Biden reported the content of the meeting and that Francis would have him defined as a quote-unquote good Catholic, inviting him to, quote, continue to receive communion, end quote. It is disconcerting that, to date, no clarifying comments have come from the Vatican press office. This suggests that Joe Biden's words are true and that Bergoglio actually spoke them. Even if what Biden said perfectly responds to the intemperate sorties of Jorge Mario Bergoglio, who defined a notorious radical abortionist as a, quote, great Italian, it is evident that these statements represent an unprecedented scandal, since they do not condemn the positions of a political figure in favor of abortion, disavow the immutable position of the magisterium of the church, and sound like a clear invitation to commit sacrilege, profaning the most holy Eucharist by receiving it in a state of public and manifest sin. Every Catholic knows what horrendous crime the killing of a defenseless creature in the womb represents, the very serious scandal given to the faithful, not only by Joe Biden as a convicted abortionist, but by Bergoglio himself, who is recognized as the supreme pastor of the church. Its demolishing action knows no rest in the the astonished silence of the cardinals and bishops, the very rare exception of pastors who truly care about the souls entrusted to them, that of his most eminent Cardinal Burke amplifies to all, are viewed with hostility by the majority of their brothers and by the Vatican in the disturbing subversion of the mission of the Church of Christ. Now flattened on climate change, inclusive capitalism, and mass vaccination. Bergoglio was recently recognized, quote-unquote, moral guide by the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, led by Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, and as appointed economist Jeffrey David Sachs, president of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network, a member of the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences, a supporter of the reduction of world population, and the fight against climate change. This gives the measure of an extraneousness to the mission of the papacy and should lead the prelates of the church to seriously question their mental and moral suitability for the role they hold. I urge the faithful, on the feast established by Pius XI in honor of the social royalty of our Lord Jesus Christ, to pray for divine majesty so the Church of Christ may be the first society among those afflicted by the present crisis in which Jesus Christ returns to reign, today replaced by idols, globalist ideology. 
Signed, Carlo Maria Vigano, Archbishop, on the 31st of October, on the feast, on the traditional feast on the 1962 calendar of the reign of Christ the King. His statement is short and to the point. He very clearly enumerates that what we saw from Francis and Biden was a grave scandal, and it's the only one that will help to promote greater and greater evil among self-identified Catholic politicians who, frankly, are public apostates at this point, because you cannot possibly be Catholic and support the murder of children in the womb once you know what it is that procedure entails. And these politicians can't possibly but know what that procedure entails. So what's next is a bit of a different take, because Cardinal Burke does take a different approach to these things than Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano does. Burke tells you the story of this whole issue, and the names will be familiar. Get ready to be, re to be reunited to former Cardinal McCarrick and the now Cardinal Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C. Praise be Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. For the past several months, the intention of the Church in the United States of America has been very much in my prayers. At their coming November meeting, the bishops of the United States will be considering the application of the Canon 915 of the Code of Canon Law. Quote, those who have been excommunicated or interdicted after the imposition or declaration of the penalty and others obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. End quote. Their deliberations will address, in particular, the long-term and gravely scandalous situation of Catholic politicians who persist in supporting and advancing programs, policies, and laws in grievous violation of the most fundamental precepts of the moral law, while at the same time claiming to be devout Catholics, especially by presenting themselves to receive Holy Communion. In praying for the bishops in my homeland, the United States of America, I have more and more thought about the experience of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, over 17 years ago, their summer meeting in Denver in June of 2004, in addressing the same issue. It is an experience which I lived intensely. I thought it important to offer the following reflections as a help to us all in addressing now and in the future such a critical matter, a matter of life and death for the unborn and of eternal salvation for the Catholic politicians involved, in my homeland as in other nations. I'd wanted to offer these reflections much sooner, but recovery from recent health difficulties prevented the writing of these reflections until now. The context of the June 2004 meeting of the United States bishops was the campaign of Senator John Kerry for President of the United States. Senator Kerry claimed to be a Catholic while, at the same time, supporting and promoting abortion on demand in the nation. At the time, I was Archbishop of St. Louis appointed on the 2nd of December, 2003, and installed on January 26, 2004. As had been my practice as Bishop of La Crosse, appointed on the 10th of December, 1994, and installed on February 22, 1995, I admonished Senator Kerry not to present himself to receive Holy Communion, because, after having been duly admonished, he persisted in the objectively grave sin of promoting directly procured abortion. I was not the only bishop to admonish him thus. From the time of my first Episcopal ministry in the, minister, in the Diocese of La Crosse, I had confronted the situation of politicians presenting themselves as practicing Catholics, and at the same time supporting and advancing programs, policies, and laws in violation of the moral law. As a new and relatively young bishop, I spoke with brother bishops especially, 
one of the senior suffragans in my ecclesiastical province, about several Catholic lawmakers in the Diocese of La Crosse who were in this situation. The common response of brother bishops was the expectation that the conference of bishops would eventually address the question. Knowing my moral obligation in a matter of such serious consequences, defined in Canon 915, I began to contact the legislators from the Diocese of La Crosse, asking to meet with them to discuss the complete incoherence of their position regarding procured abortion with the Catholic faith they professed. Sadly, none of them was willing to meet with me. One carried out a certain correspondence with me, insisting that his position regarding abortion was consistent with the Catholic faith, following the erroneous counsel presented by certain dissident professors of moral theology, adherents of the heretical school of proportionalism, at a summit held at the Hyensport compound of the Kennedy family in the summer of 1964. Documentation of the meeting is found in a book of Albert R. Johnson, who accompanied one of the dissident European professors of moral theology and was present for the entire meeting. Regarding the refusal of the legislators to meet with me, I must observe that I find, at best, naive the common refrain that what is needed is more dialogue with the Catholic politicians and legislators in question. In my experience, they are not willing to discuss the matter because the teaching of the natural law, which necessarily is also the teaching of the church, is beyond discussion. In some cases, too, I have had the strong impression that they were unwilling to discuss the matter because they were simply unwilling to have their minds and hearts changed. The truth remains that procured abortion is the knowing and willing destruction of a human life. When I was an Archbishop of St. Louis, one Catholic legislator agreed to meet with me, even though, as his parish priest also attested, he was not presenting himself to receive Holy Communion. He began the meeting by showing me a picture of his family. As I recall, his wife and he had four children. As our conversation progressed, I asked him how, having so profoundly shown me the picture of his children, he could regularly vote in favor of killing babies in the womb. He immediately lowered his head and said, It is wrong. I know that it is wrong. While I urged him to act according to his conscience, which he had just expressed, I had to admire the fact that at least he admitted the evil in which he was involved, and did not try to present himself to me as a devout Catholic. Regarding the objective reality of the practice of abortion as the most grievous violation of the precept of the natural law, which safeguards the inviability of innocent and defenseless human life, there is nothing about which to dialogue. The subject of dialogue must be how best to prevent such an evil in society. Such prevention can never involve the actual promotion of the evil. With the announcement of my transfer from the Diocese of La Crosse to the Archdiocese of St. Louis on December 2, 2003, the secular press traveled to the Diocese of La Crosse in order to find material for the creation of a negative image of the new archbishop before his arrival in the Archdiocese. Whereas before my transfer there was no public discussion of my pastoral interventions with the lawmakers in question, as is altogether appropriate. The matter now became public in December of 2003 and January of 2004. In putting the question of the application of Canon 915 before the body of bishops at its meeting in June of 2004, the pastoral action which I had taken in the Diocese of La Crosse and was beginning to take in the Archdiocese of St. Louis was placed in serious question. To illustrate the fact, during a break in the meeting, I encountered on a stairwell one of the eminent members of the Conference of Bishops, who shook his finger at me, declaring, You cannot do what you have been doing without the approval of the Conference of Bishops. To be clear, other bishops were following a similar pastoral action. I responded to his declaration by pointing out that when I die, I will appear before the Lord to give an account of my service as bishop, not before the Conference of Bishops. 
Here I must note that the pastoral action taken had nothing to do with the interference in politics. It was directed to the safeguarding of the sanctity of the Holy Eucharist, to the salvation of the souls of Catholic politicians in question, who were sinning gravely, not only against the fifth commandment, but were also committing sacrilege by receiving unworthily Holy Communion, and to the prevention of the serious scandal caused by them. When I interviewed pastorally with Catholic politicians, it was done in an appropriately confidential manner. Certainly I gave no publicity to the matter. It was rather the politicians who found it helpful to present themselves as practicing Catholics in the hope of attracting the votes of Catholics who publicized the matter for a political end. The discussion during the meeting in June of 2004 was difficult and intense. Without going into the details of the discussion, there seemingly was no consensus among the bishops, even though there was among some of the most influential bishops the desire to avoid any intervention with Catholic politicians, who, according to the discipline of Canon 915, should not be admitted to receive Holy Communion. Ultimately, the president, the then Bishop Wilton Gregory of the Diocese of Belleville, remanded the matter to a task force on Catholic bishops and Catholic politicians, under the chairmanship of the then-Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who has clearly opposed the application of, then, of Canon 915 in the case of Catholic politicians supporting procured abortion and other practices which gravely violated the moral law. The task force was comprised of a group of bishops with mixed views on the subject. In any case, with time, the task force was forgotten, and the critical issue was left unaddressed by the Conference of Bishops. When Bishop Gregory announced the task force, the bishop sitting next to me observed that we could now be certain that the issue would not be addressed. In the context of recalling the Denver meeting of the United States Conference of Bishops in June of 2004, it is important for me to recount two other related personal experiences. First, in the spring of 2004, while I was in Washington, D.C. for pro-life activities, I met privately for 45 minutes with one of the highest-placed officials in the federal government, a non-Catholic Christian who manifested great respect for the Catholic Church. In the course of our conversation, he asked me whether, in view of the serious health difficulties of Pope St. John Paul II, the election of a new pope could mean a change in the Church's teaching regarding procured abortion. I expressed some surprise at his question, explaining that the Church can never change its teaching on the intrinsic evil of procured abortion, because it is a precept of the natural law, the law written by God on every human heart. He responded that he asked the question because he had concluded that the Church's teaching in the matter could not be that firm, since he could name for me 80 or more Catholics in the Senate of the House of Representatives, who regularly supported pro-abortion legislation. The conversation in question was an eloquent testimonial to the grave scandal caused by such Catholic politicians. They have, in fact, con contributed in a significant way to the consolidation of a culture of death in the United States, in which he the procurement of abortion is simply a fact of daily life. The Catholic Church's witness to the beauty and goodness of human life from its first moment of existence and the truth of its inviolability has been grievously compromised to the point that non-Catholics believe that the Church changed or will change what is in fact an unchangeable teaching. While the Church, carrying out the mission of Christ, her head, for the salvation of the world, is totally opposed to the attack on innocent and defenseless human life, the Catholic Church in the United States seems to accept the abhorrent practice in accord with a totally secularized view of human life and sexuality. In this regard, I am told that the argument from the truth about human life is often ineffective, since the culture has no regard for objective truth exalting the views of the individual, no matter how contrary to right reason they may be. Perhaps the approach taken in assisting mothers and fathers contemplating abortion should be taken on a wider scale. 
namely the viewing of an ultrasound of the tiny human life at its beginning. In my experience, when mothers and fathers thinking to procure an abortion view first such an ultrasound, the great majority of them do not proceed to the abortion. The visible image of the beauty and goodness of human life convinces them of the evil of abortion. Such ultrasounds should be readily viewable, especially by those who are responsible for leading the church's essential witness to life, and by those who are responsible for the policies, programs, and laws of the nation, which should protect and foster human life and not provide for its destruction. The second event took place during my visit to Rome in late June and early July of 2004 in order to receive from Pope John Paul II the pallium of the Metropolitan Archbishop of St. Louis. Given the difficult experience of the meeting in Denver earlier in the month of June, I was counseled to visit the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in order to be certain that my more pastoral practice was coherent with the Church's teaching and practice. I was received in audience by the then Prefect of Congregation, His Eminence, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, and the then secretary of the congregation, Archbishop now Cardinal Angelo Amato, and an English-speaking official of the congregation. Cardinal Ratzinger assured me that the congregation had studied my practice and found nothing questionable about it. He only cautioned me not to support publicly candidates for office, something which, in fact, I had never done. He expressed some surprises at my doubt in the matter, given a letter which he had written to the United States bishops, which had addressed the question thoroughly. He asked whether I had read his letter. I had told him that I had not received the letter and asked whether he could kindly provide a copy for me. He smiled and suggested that I read it on a popular blog, asking the English-speaking official to make a photocopy of the text as it appeared in its entirety on the blog. The letter in question sets forth in an authoritative manner the Church's constant teaching and practice. The failure to distribute it to the United States bishops certainly contributed to the failure of the bishops in June of 2004 to take appropriate action in the implementation of Canon 915. Now, I am told that it is maintained that the letter was confidential and therefore cannot be published. The truth is that it was published already in early of June 2004, and that clearly the prefect of the congregation who authored it was not at all disturbed about the fact. Seventeen years have passed since the meeting of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in Denver during the month of June 2004. The most serious question of the application of Canon 915 of the Code of Canon Law to Catholic politicians who support and promote programs, policies, and legislation in grievous violation of the natural law seemingly remains a question for the Conference of Bishops. In fact, the obligation of the individual bishop is a matter of universal church discipline regarding faith and morals, over which the Conference of Bishops has no authority. In fact, a number of bishops have understood their sacred duty in the matter and are taking appropriate action. A Conference of Bishops fulfills an important role of support for the diocesan bishop, but it cannot place the authority that belongs properly to him. It is the diocesan bishop, not the Conference, that applies the universal law to a particular situation. The work of the Conference of Bishops is to assist the individual bishops in carrying out their sacred duty. In accord with Canon 447 of the Code of Canon Law, quote, A Conference of Bishops, a permanent institution, is a group of bishops of some nation or certain territory who jointly exercise certain functions for the Christian faithful of their territory in order to promote the greater good which the Church offers to humanity, especially through forms and programs of the apostolate, fittingly adapted to the circumstances of time and place according to the norm of law, end quote. What more corresponds to the promotion of the greater good which the Church offers to humanity than the safeguarding and fostering of human life created in the image and likeness of God and redeemed by the most precious blood of Christ, God the Son incarnate, by correcting the scandal of Catholic politicians who publicly and obstinately promote a procured abortion. 
I invite you to pray with me for the church in the United States of America and in every nation, that faithful to the mission of Christ, her bridegroom, she will be faithful, limpid, and uncompromising in the application of Canon 915, defending the sanctity of the Holy Eucharist, safeguarding the souls of Catholic politicians who would grievously violate the moral law and still present themselves to receive Holy Communion, thereby committing sacrilege and preventing the most serious scandal caused by the failure to observe the norm of Canon 915. May God bless you and your homes. Please pray for me and especially for the recovery of my health. Yours in the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary and in the purest heart of St. Joseph. Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke I hope you found that helpful in understanding the grave nature of scandal caused by Francis telling Joe Biden to continue receiving the Most Holy of Holies, the Eucharist despite his being a public, unrepentant supporter of procured abortion. Thanks for listening and for clicking over from YouTube, for those of you who did. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.